Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. The Rebel Report from Super Talk Mississippi with Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. Listen carefully. What's up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator this week is Michael Borky. He's filling in for Colin Brister. Colin had something to tend to this morning. Uh, we're a little late. Everybody's kind of scattered all over the place today. Borky had some stuff going on. Colin had some stuff going on. I uh, We've got a packed show, though. It's the People's Holiday. It's Mailbag Friday. We got a fairly light response, though, from the listeners. I think that's like the second week in a row we've had uh, a fairly light mailbag response. So, I'm going to put in like a thinly veiled threat that I might do away with Mailbag Friday unless we get questions. I know people are listening. I have the metrics. So if you're listening and you enjoy Mailbag Friday, please just send me a question. I get that no one cares. <laughs> I get that like it's a very boring time with the football team. But just send me any kind of topic. We need all the content we can get. That being said, what's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Just um, on week two of fatherhood. So... Basically, that means I've been slept in two weeks. Yeah, how's that going? It's good, man. So we've had the difficult parts already started. Uh, last couple of days, uh, my, my poor little guy uh, has had a bit of an infection, so we've we've actually been at the hospital. Uh, everything's okay; he's fine. But man, it is tough. Uh, like the, the lack of sleep and the changing diapers and stuff—that's all hard. But I did not expect him to get poked and prodded like this. It's tough, man, but he's a trooper. All you have to do is give a little baby like him some, like, glucose, like sugar water. Like, they did a spinal tap on him. And, I mean, that's sticking a needle in a two-week-old baby's back. And they put a little of this, like, sugar water on his pacifier, and, like, he didn't even react. It's like, it's all good. If he's got that, but nothing else is a problem. So, it's harder on me than it's been on him, I think, but yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand modern medicine at all in that sense. That like, but like when they when you take it when you take him before you take him home through the hospital, like they do all kinds of stuff and tests, right? And then like I, I imagine from the very few people I know that have had kids, like it's not all that uncommon to have to go back if like an infection or something pops up. It's just wild to me the amount of stuff I guess that can pop up if that makes sense. Yeah, and it, it's his age is. Um, so delicate. I mean, we haven't even got him his vaccinations yet. He's that young. And and it's just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And I keep asking, you know, like, is it anything we did? And they're like, no, this just this just happened. Which makes it even harder, because it's like, if it was something that we did, we could just go home, right? And, you know, fix whatever, or get rid of our one of our stupid dogs. And, and we can't do that. Um, but it, it's tough, but it, he, he's a trooper, and, and everything's okay. But, uh, this is a nice little break, too. Believe it or not, you are talking to you is is a relief. So that's uh, I'm not sure how many people would say that about this podcast. I was actually about to ask you. So y'all aren't anti-vaxxers? We are not anti-vaxxers. <laughs> we, uh, we have 
Uh, it's funny, the hospital keeps asking questions like that about <laughs> personal, but like, do your personal beliefs stop you from getting this kind of care? And it's like, <laughs> I never want to meet somebody that says yes. I bet they get shit like that all the time, though, now, with all the crazy stuff people put out there and, like, the anti-vaxxer people. Like, I, you, I bet that's more common than you would think, and that's why they have to ask all of that. Because, like, I bet they get some crazy people nowadays who, like, don't want any kind of treatment and stuff. I don't understand those people. I'm with you. Um, I guess we'll get right into it. Uh, we'll do So you're going to step in and make some picks for us this week. Uh, so we have Greg, the LB's guy, who's basically, I've dubbed him the meat sharp. He's 41 and 27 since we started doing this, and Colin and I are both under 500. So if you can fall somewhere in the middle, you'll be pretty good. Ooh. Yeah, he's 41 and 27. Me and Colin have both sucked. I think we each were like 1 and 9 last week. It was something atrocious. Um, so he, uh, yeah, Greg's got it going on. I, I, Just I, make your picks and then do the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, go through a pick game and then just flip everything. I've tried that. I might just go with Greg in general. Like, I might just, like, pick his picks. I basically, I, last time we done an ad read, I've told people to go in there and then I've told them that they, they need to go in there and refuse to leave until they get five locks, even if they don't buy any meat. Um, so I'm not sure how that's worked out for him, but I guess we'll just get right to it and see where these questions take us. And if it doesn't go anywhere else, we'll hit some other ones. Um, so let me get to the start of this. Let's see. Hey Dad's first question. Hey Dad is the first question. With these two young quarterbacks recovering, could we see a great player rivalry? I don't really see that in either one of their personas. Maybe if it was Corral. Yeah, I but the thing is, what what young quarterback? Sh- I guess Schrader and Plumlee. Well, Schra- Schrader for sure. I actually, I really like Garrett Schrader. I, I think he can play, and he'll end up. In- if he continues on the path of growth, I think he'll end up being a really good quarterback there. But, I mean, is Plumlee really the quarterback of the future at Ole Miss? Because I keep hearing people call him a generational talent. And I keep wondering, what generation are you talking about? Because if you're talking about college football in general, you had a guy named Lamar Jackson who's a starter in the NFL who is just as a dynamic runner as John Rice Plumley and can actually throw the football effectively. And at Ole Miss, Chad Kelly is objectively a more talented quarterback than John Rice Plumley. So I don't know where this generational talent at quarterback is coming from. The guy's an exceptional athlete. But, I mean, there's only... There's only so much improving in arm talent that you can do in a few years to, to be effective at the quarterback position. So, uh, look, I mean, people like him. People don't think he should start or whatever. I just don't know what people are watching. When, like, the Texas A&M game, for example, I, I've shared a few thoughts on Twitter about how that offense is not going to work on the, the better defenses that they face. And I had people respond to me and say, they just need to stop the charade and play Plumley. He's the quarterback of the future. And what are you watching? Because what I'm watching is not somebody that you can win SEC football games with right now. 
Yeah, I mean, we we've talked this into the ground on this show in this in that sense as well. I don't necessarily either. And like, for, there's this weird faction of Ole Miss's fan base that is very defensive of Plumley, and I think they like him because he's like the shiny toy that can run. And I'm not saying this to slight Plumley because I think he needs to play. I think leaving those those feet and that elusive skill set on the sideline permanently is unwise. But to your point, yeah. being the permanent quarterback. When you can't throw and the defense knows you can't throw and they're playing, you know, they're sending zero blitzes or playing single high safety and putting eight in the box on like third and nine, you can't win in the SEC with that. And you get the Lamar Jackson and all that comparison. Well, like they're like Lamar Jackson and Chad Kelly were both incredibly more advanced passers than Plumlee was. And can Plumlee get better as a passer? Sure. I, I'm not saying he's not, but in terms of like arm talent, like you said, I don't know how much there is the room for growth. And if it can get to a point to where it's, it's able to actually be a two dimensional thing because like, it, like the Ravens went all in on Lamar Jackson. They have RG3 as a backup. They drafted Trace McSorley. They put personnel around him to help him succeed in that way. To whereas with Ole Miss, if you're going to do it, don't you have to go 110% all in on it and not rotate Corral in if you're going to do it? I don't think they should do it in the first place, but if you're going to do it, don't you have to do it 110%? Yeah, or completely flip the role. Well, that's flip what they should do. Distribution against Texas A&M and then flip them. Instead of having Plumley on the sidelines to run Plumley left, Plumley right offense, third and eight, bring Corral in to throw a deep ball, have Corral take the most steps and then bring in Plumley in situational football, short yardage situations, stuff like that. And everybody's using this, and I use it, I'm guilty of it, the Taysom Hill New Orleans thing, and we use that because that makes the most sense. Because Taysom Hill, even though he's more physical than Plumley, and not as good, not as dynamic of a runner, especially in space. He's a fast guy, but Plumlee's got elusiveness, as you said, and he's fast. Like his his high end speed, I think, is faster than Taysom Hill. But the way they use him makes sense because Taysom Hill is not a good passer of the football either. He's just limited, and he's always going to be. If you in in years under Sean Payton are still limited as a passer, you that's your ceiling. Like you're not getting any better. The way they use him, and the reason why people bring that comparison up so much, is because it makes the most sense. He's a dynamic athlete that can do a lot of things, but you cannot play him at quarterback for an extended period of time. I still think, even if you went 110% in on Plumlee, I think the offense still wouldn't work. I think you Not against Alabama and LSU and Auburn, it won't work. And I guess getting back to a bowl game for, for Ole Miss, and that's the goal with they don't make it this year, it will be next year, you don't have to beat Alabama and LSU and Auburn, but at some point you want to compete in your own division. And I, if you are running what Ryan Brown called the Plumley left, Plumley right offense, you are never beating Auburn and LSU and Alabama. So going all in, I think, would be a mistake. I, I agree. I, I think the answer to Ole Miss's quarterback situation long term, it sounds particularly more and more people maybe like talk around the program. It seems as if it's the guy at Hoover High School right now. It seems if, if as if it's um, Robbie Ashford, and it's I mean it would make sense, right? Because the way they've had this right now and the way Corral struggled some, if you bring in a guy that can run and throw, that seems like the ticket 
because they've got one and not the other, which I, I always say that, but I don't think that's necessarily fair to, fair to Corral. What, what boggles my mind, the two biggest things that have, that have baffled me about this situation is, one, Corral can run okay. Like, he runs fine, but ever since they've gone to the two-quarterback system, they haven't run him in the game, and it's made it unbelievably predictable. It's like Corral's coming in there passing. Like, it's almost become like a no-shit type of thing. But, like, Corral can run fine. So why not use him running too, run Plumley a lot, like, obviously, like he's equipped to do. And then the second part of this is what they had to lose by not playing Grant Tisdale. If you played him some against Alabama and Vanderbilt, the results would have been exactly the same. And two, it's not like you're losing Plumley. Where's he going to go? He wants to play baseball here. Like, if there was one you were going to lose, it was going to be Tisdale. So why never give him a shot? That's a question we got later in the mailbag, but I don't mind going ahead and addressing it now. What did they have to lose by not giving like, by not, by not giving him a shot? I don't understand that. You lost a kid without really knowing what you had in him. And the limited action you've seen from him, he looks like the most polished passer of the three. Yeah, I know, and I've talked to a couple people around the program, and they didn't necessarily see him as high on him as maybe some of the fan base was. And they're like, look, like basically it was described to me sometimes as, look, like I know what you saw against Alabama, but that's not always what you're going to see. And while I understand that, and there's, look, the, the other side of this argument is he lost the backup job to a guy that didn't go through spring and is a two-sport guy where he came in in January. But I tend to side on the other part of it where I think it was just Rich Rod really just wanting Plumlee to be a guy because of the way he run. I don't think it was anything Tisdale did. But that is the other side of the equation here if you want to frame it that way. I just don't understand it. I, I think I think Rich Rodriguez wanted Plumlee to be the guy that badly. And so I don't think there was really anything Tisdale could have done. Because you remember we lived in a world in September to where everyone, including all of us on the radio show, and it, and it was rightfully so based on what they said, if Corral twisted an ankle in the first three games, who are you betting on to come in as the backup? It was Tisdale. And then that all changed on that September day against Cal. But, like, I, that that's what leads me to believe there was nothing he could have done that 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 – Rich Rod was infatuated with Plumlee, and that's just the way it was going to be no matter what. At least that's what I think. And, and I'm just kind of surprised by that. Because, I mean, God knows you and I aren't, aren't football coaches. Uh, the next game I coach will be my second one because I coached senior girls powder puff in high school. Nice. Um, so questioning Rich Rodriguez is probably a dumb thing for us to do. But at the same time, forcing this Plumlee thing, this this offense, it feels like a square peg into a round hole. Uh, you can build your way towards that identity, the blue-collar stuff that Matt Blue likes to talk about, and, and maybe it will work. I just I don't know if you can recruit the athletes to run that kind of an offense when you're in the same division as LSU and Alabama, who will objectively get better athletes than you in the trenches. But if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But forcing it right now when you are not equipped to do it surprises me when you look at Rich Rodriguez's track record, he has not only exclusively run offenses that have an athlete at quarterback and you're running the football 70% of the time. When he was at Arizona, he had a true freshman throw for 4,000 yards. That, that's what surprises me the most is this guy who is the innovator of the spread option offense who has uh, had successful offenses with running quarterbacks, has had successful offenses with freshman passing quarterbacks, is forcing this thing 
when it doesn't really fit to me. And we called this, and this is another thing I'm surprised about, even when they beat Vanderbilt, you on, me on the Sunday show, you on this podcast, and then that Monday after on the radio show said it worked against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's a bad football team. When they play against the better teams in the SEC, this will not work. And we get things wrong a lot. We got that exactly right. And if people hated that, that take. People hated that take. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, it, it was like we were telling them we were kicking their puppies in front of them. But if we saw that, how can they not see that? I don't know. Well, they they did see it. That whether they want to admit it or not, they did see it. Because I keep bringing up this stat, and I don't have it in front of me. I wrote it down on like this really tiny, crappy note card. But the they did see it because the drives Plumley got by himself against Missouri and Texas A and M. I believe it was nine or ten. It resulted in. Six punts, two turnovers, and two touchdowns. And the two touchdowns came off of a muff punt from Missouri and a 69-yard touchdown run from Jaron Ely. So they did see it because Corral wouldn't have come in the game against Missouri if that were working. So to me, Corral coming in the game against Missouri basically was them saying, hey, this isn't going to work solo. And then once you bring Corral in, you know, he, he he had a really nice drive against that first one against Missouri. Made I, Like I said, he made two throws in between the hashes that Plumlee, to his, I, I'm not bashing the kid here, but it's just a fact Plumlee couldn't have made if he had 15, 20 tries. Right. So I think that was them admitting it. And then the corral thing, you come in and they just have no identity. So it, it's a mess. We've talked this in, like we've, we've, We've spent so much time on this on the podcast. I know we were like repeating ourselves here, but it's just it's it's baffling to me. And I, I guess to wrap up the thought there, if the, if it's the exact same rotation at Missouri, at, I mean at Auburn this weekend, like if they don't rotate them in a different manner than they have, then it's 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 a huge indictment on the coaching staff. Then I already think it is an indictment the way it's been handled. But if you don't if if you don't if you don't change it up this weekend, it's literally just the definition of insanity. I don't, I don't know how you have any faith in this offensive coaching staff and Matt Luke. So it's Rich Rodriguez him together if it's the exact same way. I, I don't get how you can have any faith. They will have double-digit three and outs if they run the same offense against Auburn that they did against Texas A&M. Yeah, because you look at Auburn's defensive front, that's not going to work. Nope. So, anyway, that's a... It's a be- it might be the best they'll see this year. I think it is. I, I, I think... Because I think it's better than Alabama's. I think defensive front-wise, it's probably better than LSU's. I think it's the best one they'll see. And so, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he gets to the edge and maybe Plumlee causes all kinds of problems. But I think they're going to have to do something different. I think, again, like as I've always said, because I get accused of being a corral stand, Plumlee should play, but he should not play in the amount and the manner in which he's playing. Anyway, right. um... Let's see. Is our AD search, I guess, is Ole Miss's AD search legit, or is it just window dressing for the person they've already selected? I think he means the committee. Like, if he's talking about the committee. I, look, we addressed this on the radio show. I, I don't think I've actually addressed this on the podcast on Wednesday. That's just an oversight. I should have. The committee comes out. It's your usual suspects. Uh, Mike Glenn, Archie Manning, uh, Jesse Mitchell, uh, Wesley Walls, 
again, as Richard said on Wednesday, if they're actually allowed to do their job, it's a very qualified committee full of smart people. But what Ole Miss has done with committees, what they've done with committees in terms of turn it into an actual committee instead of it just be, instead it's just become a smokescreen for the shady shit they do behind closed doors to make their own decision is kind of like it's diabolical it's kind of funny and it's really just kind of pathetic at all the same time one it, i don't mean this as like a slight on those people that are very qualified and i think would do a good job if they're given complete autonomy i don't buy it i think that the decision is either close to being made or already being made, and this is once again just a smokescreen. Yeah, and this probably isn't fair to uh, to Keith Carter. I think I said this on the radio show, but whatever. Um, there is no way that you will ever be able to sell to that fan base a third national search that ends with somebody down the hall. I think if you hire, and it's not fair to him, and I understand that he's a great guy, and, and he's kept that athletic department head above water in a difficult time. Everybody likes him. Apparently, he's done a good job in, in the short period of time in which he's had the job. But you cannot, in my opinion, sell to those people that, that donate to your program, that buy your tickets, that yet again, a national search ended with somebody down the hall when there are more qualified candidates elsewhere that want the job. I don't, I don't think you can recover from that. People will change. They've, they've already checked out in some cases, and it's not fair to them because he may do a great job, and he probably has already done a pretty good job, got the alcohol thing through despite some bureaucratic nonsense going on in the Lyceum. I don't think that you can do that. I- if they find a way to... Even with the committee and the smokescreen, let's say they already have a candidate picked out, but it's somebody who's qualified, who's been in athletic administration elsewhere, whatever. I don't think that this search can end with the guy down the hall again. Yeah, I don't no, think that can happen. I, I, I think could. People will just completely check out, and you may never be able to get them back. I couldn't agree with that more. But what the wild part about this is to me is I don't think that's going to stop them from doing it if they want to. I'm not I, I'm not necessarily sure, based on kind of what I've heard right now, that's the direction they'll go. I don't think – I agree with what you're saying, and I, I think that's true, but I don't think that's going to stop them from doing it if that's the way they want to go. Like, I don't think they're going to go from that direction based on what I've heard and all of that, but I don't think that's going to stop them from doing it if they want to. I mean, hell, I mean – Call it what you want. Say what you want about like what they said and all that. They knew that they what they did with Glenn Boyce, and they knew they were sell, selling just kind of a load of crap, and they were just going to get through it anyway. So that tells me that they aren't scared to do it if they want to. I don't think they're going to. But to your point, it's kind of unfair to Keith Carter because everyone says he's done a good job, and I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think to people that maybe like are not sure about it, it's hard to measure. But I'd basically describe it this way. He's kept everything between the lines. He's kept the athletic department run pretty well. He's done about as close to as strong-arming as he can with Mike Bianco and not rolling him over. And look, if you want to argue that that's the wrong thing to do because it kind of kneecaps him a little bit in terms of maybe recruiting and stuff like that, okay, fine. But I think that overall that was probably the correct move. So I think he's done everything right, but to your point, I, I don't. If it ends down the hallway again, I think you're going to lose people that'll never come back. But again, I, I think they 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 took that risk with Boyce and knew that was the case, and yet they've somehow done it anyway. Which that whole situation still just blows my mind. I, I it's it's 
it's baffling. It's it's weird, and but what is that like? What is the if it's not Keith Carter, then what is the scenario that they do that again? Is it Hartwell because you've heard the name for the last month? Yeah, and I guess he would be technically like an Ole Miss guy. And I've even had a buddy of mine tell me that that would be just another GOB hire. But the thing about him, and I, you know, look, I don't know if it's going to be him, if he's a handpicked candidate, whatever. I do know he wants the job and would take it if offered. But he is a guy that at least has made it elsewhere. So even though if you have to just hire somebody with ties to Ole Miss, because that's like the qualification to get a job there now, at least he has done things at a high level in athletics administration at other places and done them well. So if that's who they end up with, objectively, on paper, that's a really good hire. Somebody who's done it before, had experience, and checks the, he has ties to Ole Miss box. If that's a box that you have to check. Yeah, I agree. So I guess the candidate I'm kind of talking about that maybe would be, like if it's not him, that would kind of be the like, oh boy, here we go again. Walker Jones, probably. Just because the uh, the qualifications and everything, while he may do a good job, probably aren't immediate. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you looking at his yeah. resume and being like, that's that's the ticket? Like, I, I'm just trying, I don't, I'm not trying to like, like, stir up anything here. I'm just trying to figure out if it's not Keith Carter, what is the hire that's going to make people angry again? Because that seems to be the, the one that, uh, pe- that this kind of administration gravitates to. Uh, there's a certain relative of a certain former politician that would fire some people up. Fair enough. <laughs> oh boy, that would uh, that would be quite something. So I don't know. As far as what's interesting, a part about this is is you figured if Matt Luke, if they lose at Auburn on Saturday and they don't win the Egg Bowl and they go four and eight, you know, people have you know raised the question about job security, blah blah blah, all that. I, if they don't have someone in in the next ten to fifteen days, I don't know how you, I don't know how they pull the trigger on a coaching thing. Unless, literally, when they introduce the AD at the press conference, he turns to his right and is like, oh, by the way, there's a head coaching vacancy, which, power move, but honestly, not realistic. I'm somewhat joking there. I think all signs point towards, because even if, they, if this committee, even if it's kind of a fraud, don't they have to give it three, four weeks just to give the somewhat illusion that it's actually working the way it's supposed to work? So I, I think with this being announced on Wednesday, all signs point to Matt Luke getting a 2020 year, maybe that with no support. But maybe that, maybe that changes. But I, now, now I don't really see a world where they have someone in place in time to where twenty nineteen is it for Matt Luke if they go four and eight. Yeah, that that would seem to be too soon. But man, I just if they roll out a four and eight, I just financially, um, I don't know how you try to sell twenty twenty and. I don't think you do. I think you just have to see the results. Like, I don't think there's any selling it, right? I mean, I don't think you can. But my, my wonder is, why would you suffer more losses financially in a 2020 season than, let's say, you would suffer in a buyout? I don't disagree with that at all. My, my my argument here is solely just who's doing who's who's running who's calling the shots. Yeah. Like I, I just don't I don't see anyone in place with enough time to where that's that's possible. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have someone in by Thanksgiving, they deliberate for a week. But then again, if 
what's going to be weird about this, what if Matt Luke goes 5-7 and seven with a win over State? Because Lord knows that kind of win buys capital. Oh, if, if that's what happens, if, if they win two more games and it's New Mexico or New Mexico State, whoever it is, and the Egg Bowl, he comes back in 2020, and I don't think you can justify making a move if that happens. No, I, did, I agree. Um, next one we've got, if Corral sees his third offensive coordinator in three years, what's the likelihood of him leaving? Why don't people give the benefit of doubt of Corral being a redshirt freshman? Uh, a lot to unpack there. The first one about the third OC in three years, I think that's a fair point, but I don't think that would have as much to do with him leaving as, you know, having to split reps with Plumlee and not being guaranteed the future after they spent the entire offseason basically making him the future of the program. I think that would more so have to do with his departure, it have to do with him leaving than, than another offensive coordinator. Because in this day and age in college football, I think kids are more well-equipped to handle coaching turnover than they were maybe even 7, 10 years ago. But I think it would have more to do with just him not being guaranteed. What His future here not being cemented is why he would leave, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I mean, if he left, that would also be his third OC in three years. That's so, a good point, too. He, he's facing that regardless. Um, and the benefit of the doubt question, see, I'm, I'm fascinated by that, and I think it's kind of an easy answer. I think if you look at Ole Miss football for the last decade, it has been led by a quarterback that when he took over the starting job was an experienced veteran in some capacity or the other, all the way back to Jevin Sneed. And then uh, you had Bo Wallace or uh, Jeremiah Masoli come in, and he was a Heisman contender and then was a starting quarterback at Ole Miss. And then you had that weird stuff uh, in 2011, but, uh, I mean, that was the end of Houston Nut. After that, you bring in Bo Wallace, who was a – a transfer who won a junior college national championship. Then you have uh, Jordan or Chad Kelly, a transfer, junior college national champion. Jordan Taamu took over for Shea Patterson after a few starts. Transfer, junior when he took the starting job, played junior college football. And so now, after Jordan Taamu, this is the first young quarterback that Ole Miss has seen in a decade. And you had a series of junior college hits. That doesn't happen very often. Bo Wallace was a hit. Jack Kelly was a hit. Jordan Tomu was a hit. Took over right away. Were experienced guys that played good football. No matter who it is, and it, it, even it goes back to the Tisdale question, even if you put him in and played him an extended period of time, he was going to do things wrong as well. I brought up Derek Trader earlier. I like his upside, but he makes freshman mistakes. He plays like a freshman. He turns the football over some. Kills the ball in the pocket too long, some. But he's got talent and you can see it. For some reason, Matt Corral from the Memphis game, which was a poorly called offensive game, has been the scapegoat for bigger problems for Ole Miss, which is identity and play calling and coaching decisions and game management. And because he throws a few incompletions and maybe an interception, it is all his fault. The offense sucks because of him. Let's play this other guy who can't throw because it's all Corral's fault, when in reality, blame, so to speak, should be directed in other locations, and you also need to be patient with a young quarterback because this is the first one that you've seen as Ole Miss fans in a decade. Yeah, and the you, the part about him not, like the he's, he has kind of become blamed for larger, for the scapegoat for larger problems because 
He's at just under 60% of his passes, and that's including, I think, a 7 of 17 at Memphis, which I actually have a hard time indicting for him for much of what happened at Memphis because of how horribly the offensive line played that game. So that's a game where you complete less than 50%, and a small sample size, that's going to skew his numbers pretty well. So if you take that out, and I'm not saying you can or can't, but he's over 60% completion percentage. But his problem is, and I don't really know why this is the case, like that first half against Cal, I brought up this a couple times, he played a pretty good half of football. I think he was like 16-24 to 24 for 168 yards and no turnovers, but he missed two throws on the final half before final drive before the end of the half to where things ended in a field goal. And so even in a half where he played a good half of football, the two things that kind of st- I mean, the thing that kind of stuck out was the missed opportunities at the end. And I always just wonder what happens with this season for Ole Miss if he doesn't get hurt that day because if you remember there were calls which were kind of baffling to me at halftime to see if they were going to see Tisdale or Plumley in the second half and then Corral has a horrible third quarter. And I, I just wonder what would have happened if he wasn't, if he was like hadn't gotten hurt that day because the offense wasn't doing anything. Like, does he survive the next weekend to Alabama? I don't know. I just think there's a way. Like, the way this should have been handled, and this goes back to us talking about Plumley, is Corral should have just been given the reins to this for a solid year. You gather a year of data, you see if he's the guy or not, and then maybe if he's not, then you move on to Ashford or whatever. But Plumley should have never become more of a package, more than a package quarterback. And I think they should have used him, but it should have been a Tebow-esque type of thing, or what at Taysom Hill, whatever example you want to use. And you should have let Corral be the every-down quarterback for every game he was healthy and just collected a year's worth of data because you weren't good. This was always going to be a struggle anyway, right? Like this, 2019 was when you were paying the NCAA bill. This is always going to be a struggle of a year. What did you have to lose by just letting him ride it out, see what happens, and if he's not the guy, you have options in 2020? Because Plumlee wasn't going anywhere. Ashford's coming into the program. I don't really know what would have happened to Tisdale, to be honest, if this hadn't have turned out the way it was. I don't know if he's back in 2020 or not, but... Like, I, I just, I don't understand how this was handled, and I think it's been to Corral's detriment. And I think the way it has been handled and his struggles early on are why he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, I guess is what I'm saying. For sure. And I, I think part of why there's been such uh, inconsistency at that position is you've got a couple of people that are, uh, one, potentially coaching to keep their job and to the other one coaching to try to prove it to get back into the head coaching ranks. I think there's it almost seems desperate and for two separate reasons but if you had people that were comfortable with their status with their employment and where they were I don't know if you would see such inconsistency and panic moves especially like what you saw against Texas A&M. Yep, I would uh, I would one hundred percent agree with that because but that's the that's part of what that's part of the part of the price you pay for hiring two guys that are arguably more accomplished and more experienced than you and giving them complete autonomy over their half of the team. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, and with McIntyre, it's worked fine. But McIntyre's also you know not trying to play Miles Hartsfield at defensive end or something wild like that. So like, it's yeah, I, it's. It's a complicated issue and a layered issue, and I, I'm just not sure there's... I'm not sure if it's... This is what's wild to me. I'm not sure if it's repairable at this point. Like, the, what's the way out of this? You let Corral be the primary guy the final four games with Plumley coming in intermittently, and you beat one of these two 
remain like you upset Auburn or you beat State and you feel okay about it. That's the only way that this ends positively. It seems like. Yeah, that, that's that's the only way this ends positively. And at least for McIntyre, I mean, he's done an excellent job. And they're still in the bottom in uh, pass defense and like pass defense efficiency, but their numbers otherwise as a defense are so much better, and you can see it like when you watch it. And the conversation going into the year, right, was, well, you know, Richard's probably gone after the first year. It is far more likely now that Mike McIntyre gets hired back as a head coach somewhere else than Rich Rodriguez does. Yeah, I, is there a world, though, where McIntyre just kind of wants to, because doesn't he lose the buyout if he's a head coach? Because he's getting they a lot. They gave him a lump sum, so he is done with Colorado. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, that makes sense, but I, I to me... Rich Rodriguez, if he wanted to, could get a group of five job anyway, just like just based off resume alone. And if that's what he wants to get back into major coaching, that's fine. Like to me, like McIntyre came in here obviously in different circumstances. Like Rich Rod, to me, this was kind of his how he tiptoes back in the spotlight after kind of a I don't want to get into the Arizona stuff, but just kind of a weird exit there to where he's kind of crawling back into the spotlight because he wasn't really like scrutinized or anything like Mike. Whereas Mike McIntyre was just kind of fired. So to me, yeah, one was performance based, and the other was off the field. Right, and so these kind of maybe rich. Like I would think, Mitch Rodriguez would be more inclined to use this as just to kind of crawl back into the industry per se, and then go back to being a head coach. Whereas it wouldn't stun me if McIntyre stuck around for another year or two and just kind of hung out until he got the right job. To where Rich Rodriguez seems more eager to get a job, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, sure. Um. Let's see. Why the next question? Why is Archie Manning not on the AD search committee? He is, and it says he's in an advisory role. But like you can read that in title only. He's going to have a heavy hand in it. The best way I could describe that. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. I mean, they said advisory role. I, I I don't I don't buy that. Um, boxers or briefs? I've never worn briefs. Boxers? I, I'm not a, against briefs. I don't really. I've never worn them. They're okay. I've got a few pair, but I'm I'm a boxer's guy. What is the advantage to briefs? There really isn't one. I mean, I guess they. Um, how should I put this? They support better. Um, whereas boxers are a little bit more free flowing. If you know what I mean. Yeah, so we're not going like assless chaps here. No, no, briefs <laughs> are, are like uh, like compression shorts, but right like cut. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, before we get in trouble, let's move on to the next one. Your most favorite and least favorite Halloween candy is? Um, I mean, Skittles is always a solid one, but I'm always like the Reese's ones with the peanut butter. Like, whether that's Easter egg or whether that's the Christmas tree or whatever they do at Halloween, that's always a top favorite. I uh, I have a weird one that my girlfriend says makes me a serial killer, and it really honestly bothers her, like, truly. I like dots. You like what? Dots. Like the, the, the little bot, like the gummies, like that the come oh, in the box. Oh, yeah, yeah, those aren't bad. I know. Apparently, though, that's a hor- horrendous take to have. So I'll put that up there. I like the Bunch of Crunch. I'm not a big Snickers guy. I like Twix okay, but that's that's probably my top three. Skittles are always solid. Yeah, Heath Bars are at, I, I'm a Heath Bar guy. Oh, that's a good nobody one. ever says that, but those are really good. Uh, and don't give me anything with coconut. Yeah, I'm not a coconut guy. The Heath Bar thing always gets slept on, and where it gets slept on most is anything that's Heath Bar ice cream I'm all over is really good. 
I don't think I've ever had that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, they they make that. Like, if you ever look for anything with Heath Bar ice cream in it, it is uh it is fire. Uh, let's see. When Mike Vort Norvell's name comes up in coaching searches, people always mention he has baggage, but never say what it is. What is it? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I've heard a couple of things. I have an idea, but I'm not just going to say it because that's not really responsible. I don't know exactly what it is. Do you? Uh, not a clue. And I mean, people talk and say things and stuff. I just, I don't know. But, but I do know. That and, is and a thing. Guy, go ahead. Oh no! I was just saying, like, like, like that is a thing, like that's happened. I just don't know oh, what it yeah. is. Multiple SEC jobs, and I assume the guy asking the question knows this because of the way he asked it. But multiple SEC programs have wanted to hire him, and then something came up from the search firm, and they immediately stopped looking at him. Which, and that tells people keep talking about Hugh Freeze coming back to the SEC. What's going on with Norvell tells me that Freeze isn't coming back either. I know Saban wanted to hire him as an offensive coordinator. That is very different than a head coach. Steve Sarkeesian was an offensive coordinator in the SEC. He's not getting hired as a head coach for a while. Yeah, and so what's interesting about that, because on the other side of things, you mentioned the Norvell thing and and comparing it to Freeze, and I think that's a decent comparison in terms of him coming back. But what you're not seeing, and maybe we're just not have boots on the ground there and don't know, what I don't understand is the infrastructure around him at Memphis doesn't seem to be imploding at all. It only seems to be getting stronger. Maybe it'll come out eventually. Maybe it's not an issue to where that's a thing. I just it's, it's very mysterious and very eerie. I don't get it. But you would think it would eventually leak out into his current job, but it doesn't seem to have at all, at least not from what I can tell. Well, and you probably have a, a product of, one, local media is more focused on the Grizzlies and Memphis basketball than football, but also Fair. you kind of have an element of you, you don't want to eat your own. And if, if you're the writer that exposed whatever this is in Memphis, I mean, I, I can't imagine that that would be received well. And I know as a journalist you've got to cover things and stuff, but if you can't get it on the record and it's like, a source says that this is why the coach for the team you love in this city is not getting hired by Arkansas. It's probably not a story that you can write. And, and maybe this is a kind of conspiracy, but I don't know if you can write that story and then keep your job in that city. I think that's definitely fair. I, I, that, I don't know. That's a weird one. Uh, let's see... Did Ole, This is kind of a weird question, but it's interesting. Did Ole Miss do Rich Rod a favor by hiring him as OC, or did Rich Rod do Ole Miss a favor by taking the gig? I don't think necessarily either is the case, but I think maybe you'd gravitate towards the latter if you're talking about who threw who a bigger version of a bone. I think maybe Rich Rodriguez... Like Ole Miss throwing him a bone and hiring him in an SEC school, but I think he would have gotten hired elsewhere. I don't think either one is necessarily the case, but if you had to gravitate towards one side of the spectrum, which way are you going? Oh, wow. Um, I think both are are true at the same time. Um, but I think I would lean more towards uh, Ole Miss throwing him a bone than him throwing Ole Miss a bone. Because even though he wouldn't have been an A, if and I know, look, he took his name out of the running, but let's be honest. If Ole Miss wanted to hire Will Hall from Tulane, that would have gotten done. That would have gotten done. Yeah. And 
the job he's doing at Tulane right now shows you that he would have been a good hire. Like he's a, he's a good offensive line. I know it's Tulane, and know it's the American Athletic Conference. It's not the SEC, but they Matt Luke has shown you that he can do a couple of things very well that are not related to in-game coaching, and one of them is hiring people. And let's say if Rich Rodriguez was never available, I think it's it's easy to say that Matt Luke would have found a good offensive coordinator. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, but I, I agree. Him hiring Rich Rodriguez is giving him a chance to resurrect his career that ended, so to speak, because of an off the field issue. The way this is, the way this should have been worded, and I'm not criticizing the question, is who needs who more? And it's probably slightly Rich Rodriguez needing Ole Miss more because this is a large platform. I mean, like you mentioned, just take take the Will Hall for example. If Rich Rod crawls back into the spotlight as an OC in a in a uh, at a American school, Tulane, whatever you want, North Texas, whatever, he'd have to make a lot more noise. Granted, it'd probably be easier because it's not as good of a conference, but like his success here will be, I guess, quantified, like shared, whatever, received, like at a much quicker rate than at a lower level job. So I would lean towards maybe Ole Miss throwing Rich Rodriguez a bone. I don't think necessarily like in terms of like the purest sense either the case, but if you had to lean towards one, I think I, I would agree I'd go that way. Um, what's the worst ca- case scenario? Wait. I, I don't understand this question. What is the worst case scenario and John Rice Plumley and Matt Corral come out? Who is the third QB? I think he's asking if they both get hurt. I mean, it's Kincaid Dent. I, I don't think you have another. Yeah, they've got another quarterback on roster, and he can keep his red shirt now. So, I mean, yeah, you're not throwing, like, Sellers shy in there. I-, I think that's their only option. The second question he asks, who on the AD search committee gets the AD job or they just give it to Matt Luke? <laughs> if there was someone to be on the – I'm just – this is not going to happen. I'm just completely poking fun here. If you're going to have someone on the search committee take the job, is it – I mean, Archie seems a little old. Maybe Mike Glenn. Wesley Walls would be kind of interesting. Mike Glenn, Wesley Walls, yeah, one of those. Two. Jesse Mitchell's a really smart guy. I mean, none of this is realistic. So I was about to say, I'm not sure he'd want it, but like the 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 this entire thing is not realistic at all. So just based on any of it, I don't know. Um, let's see, which Georgia, which Florida Georgia line is worse, the band or Georgia minus six and a half? I don't get either one. I, I don't get the Georgia line at minus six and a half. And I don't understand the band either. I read a uh, a concert review of somebody like like a there's you know there's movie critics. There's yeah. also like move, uh, music concert critics. Like people will go to shows and review the band and like their live show. I read one about Florida Georgia Line. It's the funniest same thing I've ever read in my life. They played the same song twice in a concert, like at two separate times in the set list. Like they played it early, and people like. Like cheered when they just, when they played it. So about an hour later, they decided to play the same song again at a live concert. Just hoping no one noticed, or they thought they I, were just rocking the place off. I, I don't know. I guess they thought the people wanted to hear it again. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't get the the line in the Florida Georgia game either. What has Georgia done offensively that tells you that they're going to be able to score points against that Florida defense? Nothing. I, I mean. Jake Fromm has been 
pedestrian at best, and they don't run the football that well against better teams anyway. Yeah, and... I think wrong team's favored in this game, but it's just almost a touchdown line. Well, you I know you weren't on the show yesterday, but the way Lee Sterling described it is like he looks at like the ability to score, and he was like, I don't know if Georgia scores enough to cover a six-and-a-half-point line. And I know that sounds like weird on the surface because it one touchdown and it covers, but you're assuming Florida's going to score some, so how does Georgia score enough? I, I think Florida may win this game outright, and I wouldn't sleep on a Dan Mullen team being a contender for the playoff going into that game in Atlanta if they do win this and win the East with their only loss is LSU. Would you agree? That's a really good point. Like, like I mean, like if you get to the end of the year and they win this game, like Florida's probably getting in the playoff or having a game to get in the playoff. In the, it, that being the SEC title game, because if they win this, they're probably winning out. I mean, I guess that game at Missouri could get weird, but I don't see where else they're losing. And then all of a sudden, you've probably got Florida against Alabama or LSU, and the winner goes to the playoff. You would think. Yeah, especially with how everything else is shaking out with Oklahoma losing and the Pac-12 has no uh, undefeated teams and they won't. And I mean, Bay- Baylor's going to lose at some point. They're 8-0. It's a cool story, whatever. They're going to lose at some point this season. So now you've got, you'll have Ohio State slash Penn State, Alabama slash LSU, Clemson, and then a spot for one. And I don't know in your scenario how you can take that away from Florida. I agree. I think we've got one more question, then we'll speed through some picks and get out of here. Um, let's see. Worst bad beat in betting this year. Uh, I've I watched SVP segment for the first month, and now I've had a hard time staying up for it. Uh, I haven't had one. Have you? Uh, oh, man. Uh, I did a few weeks ago. Now I can't remember it, though. Yeah, that's my thing. It's like, I don't like to remember these. So even if it did happen, like, I guess one that would just, like, dramatically crush you, you might remember. But if I have one, I don't uh, I don't remember. I might answer that on Monday. Oh, show. South Carolina, Alabama. South Carolina, Alabama. Oh, that was brutal. Scored a covering touchdown with 11, or Alabama scored a covering touchdown with 11 seconds left in the game. That's right. I, that's right. That was a brutal one. Um... Is Plumlee 100% this weekend? I know he'll likely play. Yeah, it seems like it. He's got a little sleeve on his left leg. He was a full participant in practice. Doesn't seem to be hindering him at all, which is kind of a marvel of modern medicine that you have a knee scope and you're back at practice a week later. Why do you think Tisdale never got a shot? I would say we answered that one pretty adequately already. Dude, on that Plumlee thing, I mean, those guys are not built like us. I was watching some uh, NBA last night, um, you know, we were just sitting in the hospital, and it got TNT, which was nice. But they said Zion, two weeks out of getting his meniscus removed from his knee, is a full contact practice right now. Good God. Those people, they really aren't built like us. I imagine they're getting better medical treatment than we are, but at the same time, just the, the body recovery is insanity. Like, that's nuts. <laughs> Oh, hold on, I'm sorry, I've got to leave a parking garage to go get us some food to, to modern medicine, but they're not built like we are. John Rice Plumley is not built like you and I are, so he's, you know, it's, it's different for him. That kind of injury would knock us out for a week. Alright, let's roll through some picks. So I made mine with Greg, which you're going to hear in a second, so we'll get Borky's, and then I will give you Collins, and that's how we'll do this here. 
Greg, like I mentioned, 41 and 27 on the year. Uh, we have dubbed him the Meat Sharp, so if you want to get rich, you need to take Greg and Borky's picks because Colin and I have sucked. So, first on, we're going to go with, we do all the SEC. I might throw in another one just if there's some other games that look fun. But the first one we're going to go with is Van, uh, South Carolina minus 15 and a half against Vandy. Oh, man, I don't know how to feel about this game at all. I think Vanderbilt beating Missouri was an anomaly and not actually a sign of anything more. And it's in Columbia, right? Yes, game's in Columbia. Yeah, I like Olinsky, even though he struggled a little bit lately. Freshman quarterbacks tend to do that. Uh, But they run the football really well. They've got two good running backs. And after I saw what Ole Miss was able to do running the football against that Vanderbilt team, I can't imagine that Feaster and Dowdle will not be able to do the same thing. So, South Carolina. Uh, Colin had South Carolina as well. And then, what's the next? Oh, the next one's a, a crappy one. Texas A&M is getting 38.5 at home against UT San Antonio, who I said I knew nothing about, and you'll hear in a second. Greg claims they're one of the worst teams in D1 football, so I just followed him. I, I did A&M. What's yours? Wasn't, uh, wasn't their coach a candidate for a while uh, for the Ole Miss search a few years ago? Yeah, Frank Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, not going too well in the Alamo Dome, though. So I guess I'll take A&M just because. Next one, we've got UAB Tennessee. Tennessee has now gone. Uh, uh, we're going to keep it. If we had it at twelve, minus twelve at home against UAB. So I've seen a few people suggest now that this game will be a, a good measuring stick for whether Bill Clark is going to get an SEC job. And I just I think that's a bunch of crap, don't you? Because it's still UAB. I mean. Going to Knoxville and winning if you're UAB, if, if, it, if this is the worst Tennessee team in history and the best UAB team in history, it does, it, that shouldn't be a measuring stick for a coach. And I see people say stuff like that all the time, like about Dave Pawson at Wake Forest. If, if Dave Pawson were to be a candidate at Ole Miss, people would say, well, his best season is 8-4 and four in a bad ACC. It's like, well, look at the Wake Forest job compared to everybody else in the ACC. It's a tiny school with no resources, a, a, a tiny high school-looking type stadium, and he's winning above their historical precedent. So, no, he's not winning a national championship at Wake Forest, but it, people like fail to have context and things like this. So, this isn't a measuring stick game for Bill Clark. They can lose by 20, and he still deserves an SEC job, and I think they're going to. Long-winded way to say that I think Tennessee is going to win comfortably. I agree. It's just a different type of athlete. I agree with what you said, too. I don't think that's fair. Like, I, 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 that doesn't make any sense to me. Why he didn't get more looks and why that's become a measuring stick makes no sense. It's UAB. Uh, next one, Auburn minus 19.5 now against Ole Miss. I, uh, I'll spoil it. I reluctantly took Ole Miss. I think that's a little high, but, I mean, if you've told me Auburn won this 35-7, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, I don't know where points are coming from uh, from Ole Miss unless – uh, Corral has kind of a career day throwing the football if they let him. But if it's, if it's Plumlee taking the majority of the staff and they're trying to run the football 70% of the time, they're not scoring points. Uh, but Auburn's strength is running the football, and Bo Nick is really not regressing. It's just whatever you saw in week one, which still wasn't a good passer, uh, but he's not that guy. 
he, he really struggles throwing the football, and Ole Miss is really good at stopping the run really bad in pass defense. So something's got to get there. I think they'll be able to do enough early, you know, first quarter and a half or so. Uh, Auburn's going to try to run the football. Ole Miss will load the box. Bo Nix will throw, you know, some incompletions, and Ole Miss will hang around for a little bit because of that. And then their inability to score, they're going to go three and out a bunch. Short possessions for Ole Miss will kill them later. I think they're going to cover, but barely. Like a 24-7 to kind of game. Agree completely. I, uh, I, I was kind of the exact same way in the sense to where it's just like, I, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's either crowd passing or they get lucky and bust a home run or two on the ground. Uh, the next one's easy for me. I kind of tipped my hand earlier. Florida, Georgia, Georgia minus six is what the line is. I would take, if it was Florida minus one, I would still take Florida. I, I, I don't see this line at all. And I guess there's a reason that Vegas and, and all the casinos here in Mississippi have big, nice buildings and, and I don't have any money, but I just don't see this one here. So I think wrong team favored, and I would take Florida money line. I don't get that one either. The next one is honestly might be the most perplexing matchup of the weekend for all the wrong reasons. State has now gone to minus seven and a half at Arkansas. Oh, man. I I don't know. I, I have no idea. Because I know that Mississippi State has a great running back. And he, he's been shut down by Tennessee. He was shut down a couple of times this year. Because up front, Mississippi State is not physical. And they're undisciplined, too, on the offensive line. They've got problems there. But Arkansas is equally flawed. And a guy like Highland Hill can really take over and win a football game like that. And I do like Garrett Schrader. But Mississippi State's awful on the road under Joe Moorhead. Awful. And really, I mean, they're just awful in SEC play, by and large. But especially on the road. There will be 15,000 people at the game. It's a team that doesn't get out of the gate well, doesn't bring energy on the road, and is undisciplined. I have no idea what to do with this one. I I mean, Mississippi State should beat Arkansas by more than seven points. But who could have confidence in them doing that? Yeah, you just nailed it. I don't see how anywhere in good faith you could take Mississippi State as a multiple score favorite on the road with the way they played on the road. I agree. I agree with you that there. Last two we got in college, then we'll speed through some NFL. Memphis minus six against SMU. This is a big deal for Memphis, but I, I didn't. They're a six point favorite. Yeah, I didn't pick this with Greg. I think I'll go with the the ponies here. Oh man, I'm surprised at that line. So am I. They, they sold out that stadium, by the way, with their uh, 901 ticket deal, nine dollars and one cent. A, uh, a hard sellout there on Saturday. But yeah, I'll, go, I'll go with SMU with you as well. I mean, Memphis has barely skated by for the last few weeks, and maybe a ranked team, even though it's on the road, will come in and uh, humble that a little bit. Oregon, USC. Oregon, Oregon, uh, Oregon is a four-point road favorite. I like Oregon. I think Oregon is going to be whatever and one. What would it be? 12 and one because they're going to win the Pac-12 and they're not going to get into the college football playoff, but West Coast people and, and national media are going to hand ring over Oregon not getting into the playoff by showing up with one loss, and, and like a one-loss LSU will get in over them, or a one-loss Ohio State or whoever will get in over them, and people 
wring their hands over the fact that Oregon didn't get in instead of them. Uh, so because of that, I have to pick them to win this game. But I think we're going to see that kind of stuff here in a few weeks. Yeah, this is the game Clay Helton has to win to have any player keeping his job because the only way he keeps his job is if he wins the division and probably the Pac-12. I don't see it. I don't think they have the horses. I agree. It's uh, Oregon for me as well. Let's hit some NFL and get out of here. Um, Jacksonville plus one and a half at home against Houston. That's a, that's a London game. Yo, that's right. That game is in London. I lied to Greg. Oops. Um, so... I don't think Jacksonville, even though I think Houston's a better team, because apparently, I was listening to a podcast earlier as, as a little guy was sleeping, and NFL players who are making the London trip for the first time apparently really struggle, and Jacksonville does it every year. And even though the pieces are different, like Gardner Minshew's never done it, and he's starting, apparently the London game is really hard for first-time teams. And because of that, you should always take Jacksonville in a London game. That's an, it, some solid inside info there. Uh, Colin went Houston. Washington and Buffalo. Buffalo minus nine. I, I don't see how you go anything else. I, I don't either. And Buffalo, I thought they were for real. Because, I mean, they were undefeated and they played the Patriots tough and Josh Allen got hurt and they still probably could have and maybe should have won that game. And then they lay an egg against Philly last week. But you you can't not take Buffalo in this one. I just I thought they were for real, and they're not. Buffalo kills bad teams. I, uh, yeah. Uh, Colin took Buffalo as well. Uh, Carolina minus three and a half against the Titans at home. Did you see the report on Cam Newton this morning? Yeah, I don't think he's playing football this year. It doesn't sound like it. And Kyle Allen got figured out last week. Uh, I, I follow a local Charlotte media guy on Twitter, and uh, apparently, even though he's played well for the first few weeks, he had some tendencies, staring down receivers, stuff like that, that got exposed last week by the 49ers. And now that he's been figured out, apparently they're going to really start losing games that uh, they were winning. And he was having success almost in spite of himself because he had some really bad tendencies. And San Francisco exposed it, and now it's going to get worse. I don't believe in Tennessee at all, really, but uh, – what we saw from Kyle Allen last week is not uh, confidence building. So I'll take the Titans, actually, in this one. Eagles, uh, Colin had Tennessee as well. Eagles minus four at home against the Bears. Trubisky thing's over to me. Yeah, it's over. It's over for Matt Nagy, too. He's getting fired at the end of the year. And it'll start, especially, it started last week, but it'll really get going this week. Colin took the Bears, actually. Uh, Vikings has gone offline on everywhere I've tried to find it. I think that's probably a Mahomes-related thing. Miami is plus three against at home against the Jets. Oh, God. I mean, Roger Goodell should personally shake the hands of every person that watches that game. Yeah, good Lord. Uh, Miami just got rid of Kenyon on Drake, so he was the la- like kind of the last hanging on of like talent they had there so I guess I'll go with the Jets because they're still trying to win yeah that's uh what a game uh this is an interesting game Steelers plus one and a half at home against the Colts oh I'm a big fan of of Indianapolis they're winning that division I agree Uh, I mean I, I one of the few things I got right which doesn't happen very often I said going into the season they were going to still win that division. Brissett's been really good. He's not great, but he doesn't make mistakes. And 
he'll show it again on Sunday. Uh, Oakland put minus two and a half at home against Detroit. Oh, by the way, Colin had the Jets and had uh, and had uh, Indianapolis. No, Colin had the Dolphins in Indianapolis. Excuse me. Anyway, uh, Oakland minus two and a half at home against Detroit. These are the two like frisky teams that aren't good but not terrible. What a weird game. Especially now there won't be uh, the the dirt on the infield and the stadium. So it'll be point. full grass in Oakland now. Um, I like Detroit, and I think I like them because you told me to like them at the beginning of the season, and I'll stick with them, even though Oakland seems to be improved somewhat. I like Detroit, though. I think they're a playoff team still. Seahawks minus five against the Bucks. Jameis Winston may turn it over 15 times. Have y'all talked about the uh, the burner account scandal on the radio show or anywhere else? No, what's going on? Bring that up today. Uh, apparently, and he, he has claimed to have been disproven by Barstool, but there is a conspiracy out there that the GM of the, the Tampa Bay Bucks has a burner account called Jameis 101. I think that's what it's called, Jameis 101 and wrote a book that vigorously defends Jameis Winston and calls him a future Hall of Famer. And this guy has done, like, podcast interviews and stuff, and his voice is identical to that of the Bucks GM, and they even use the same terminology. Like, you know how some people say the same word a lot? Yeah. Like, like I say exceptional too much, or objectively, whatever. Uh, he uses those similar words in like these anonymous podcast interviews as he does in like his press conferences it's bizarre and like these two guys that have a website and stuff in california have like tried to log into the account just to see because on twitter if like you put in the wrong password it'll pop up with like the first two letters of your email and it matched to like the buck like print off his email accounts and stuff like, it's a full-blown conspiracy that the Bucks DM wrote a book anonymously to defend Jameis Winston and is on Twitter, like, constantly defending him to everybody and, like, doing anonymous podcast interviews and stuff. That's all a, defending Jameis Winston. That's insane. So he wrote a book under, like, the Twitter alias? Under the Twitter alias, a book is written defending Jameis Winston. Okay. So, sounds like Seahawks. <laughs> sounds like Seahawks to me. Denver plus four against Baker and the Browns at home. Uh, it's at Denver. Mm, no Joe Flacco. Who's starting in Flacco's place? Brandon Allen. I made the point to Greg that you'll hear in a second that I was like, look, if, if they could have a dead guy starting at quarterback, that Baker could turn it over five times and this could get weird. There's, there's a chance that happens. Yeah, Cleveland's more talented, though. I'm going to go with Cleveland. I think they hang on a little bit until it implodes later on in the season. Chargers plus three and a half at home against the uh, Packers. I'll take Green Bay basically at home. Sunday night football is a doozy. We've got Baltimore plus three against New England. I think New England wins big. I like Lamar Jackson. And it's like at the top of this, this podcast, I even called him a generational talent, which he is. Um, but he's still too limited in the passing game against that defense. So, New England will win that one. Last one, the Giants are getting a touchdown at home on Monday Night Football against Dak and the Cowboys. Cowboys will make a statement on Monday. 
That should do it. Uh, let's see if you can get rich off Greg the Meat Sharp and Borky's picks this week. We'll have the results for you on Wednesday. That's all we've got for today. That was a solid hour. And then at the end of this, I'm going. Uh, we're going to go from this to Greg's picks. Um, we saved the best for last because Greg is just destroying Las Vegas. He's also cooking up all kinds of weird meats. You'll hear that in a second. So we'll go to our interview with Greg, and that'll be the end of the show. But this has been the LB's Pick'em. Borky, appreciate you joining us for a Mailbag Friday. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Of course, man. Anytime. And uh, have fun this afternoon. Absolutely. Good luck with everything with your son. Hope everything turns out well. I appreciate it, man. He's all good. Just uh, needs uh, another few rounds of antibiotics. But uh, we're, we're, we're okay. Crisis averted. Hell yeah. All right. I'll see you soon, dude. Thank you. He is back. It is Greg the... Well, first of all, we got to have a discussion about your career choice and your career path because I'm pretty sure you're in the wrong field. But it is LB's Greg. What's up, man? What's up? Glad to be back over it again. What's going on? Not much. Why are you? Uh, why are exactly are you in meat when your gambling picks are enough to live off of? Oh man, it's uh, you know I don't know. I'm just I'm just I guess I'm. Uh, because I've lost so much money over the years, I finally get on a you know public broadcast and put picks on, and I, I do good. So I guess that's uh, just beginner's luck, I guess. Did Colin tell you your record? No, probably. Uh, that's probably why he hadn't texted me back. It's because my record's so good. It, it is. It is forty-one and twenty-seven. So if you took whatever your picks were and actually cashed them in somewhere, like that, will actually provide you money because I can't provide you any money. Uh, you'd probably probably have a little nice chunk of change in your pocket. So, well, that's good. That's good. I, I I'll take it. If anybody uh, if anybody did it, uh, I'll take ten percent. That'd be great. Well, the last couple times we've uh, we've we've told people to go into LBs. We've also said that they shouldn't leave until they demand five locks. Have you had that happen yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> okay. Well, the listeners are not doing very well. But uh, so, t- tell us what you got going on this week. Like, was there anything funky? Like, is there you got any? You feeding the baseball team? I know they got a game tonight. What do you got going on in the kitchen this week? Yeah, uh, well, today we uh, we're feeding Ole Miss and Memphis. Um, so that's always a uh, a plus when you can get both teams in uh, in one day. So um, yeah, uh, Ole Miss is just doing their traditional post game meal with some chicken spaghetti, some barbecue meatloaf, and some uh, loaded mashed potatoes. And then uh, we're doing uh, Memphis is just a little to-go order. So it's just a bag with a chicken bacon ranch, a Philly cheese, I mean, a potato salad, chips, and a cookie. So, uh, yeah, just pretty basic stuff. And then the weather's finally changed, so it's kind of gotten colder. So I've been doing a bunch of pot roast uh, for the plate lunch. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's always something going on at LB's. Yeah, as far as I was about to ask that, so, like, as far I, when I do the, when I do the read sometimes, like I'll just say the weather's getting cooler. It definitely feels like grilling season because you know fall, you know throw something on the grill, watch some football. But the last two days, it's gone full on like winter on us. And I'm just curious, like like not that there's seasonal meats, but like when it gets cold outside versus like anything in the spring. Do you have any preference as far as like putting what you put on the grill? Yeah, I mean you know still basic stuff as far as ribeyes, fillets, uh, bone-in ribeyes, T-bones, and porterhouses. Uh, we get a, uh, a lot of that for chili grind, which is going to be a medium plate ground beef to where when you cook it, it's going to, you know, cook a little bit chunkier instead of that fine plate like the ground beef that we have. Um, just basic stuff, uh, kind of like some pot roast, uh, more, 
uh, pot roast options, some roast options, and just stuff that you can blow and slow it and, you know, leave it in the in, in the crock pot to where it stays warm and where you can eat it, you know, throughout the week. You The last time you came on here, you mentioned a couple of different types of sausage. I'm just curious, are you, like, constantly experimenting with new recipes and stuff like that? How does that exactly work? Well, I mean, you know, uh, whenever we try to make up a, a new sausage, it's, we always look for flavor profiles. Um, say, for example, like the harvest apple is a very basic uh, kind of breakfast-style uh profile it's got pork apples brown sugar and cinnamon so it's kind of like a sweeter sausage so we wanted to um i had a uh, a friend that had a local blueberry farm and so she had a bunch of local blueberries and we're like okay we can do a sausage with blueberries so basically we just kind of basically took the harvest apple recipe and just kind of flipped it with kind of some maple syrup and some blueberries and kind of, you know, kind of did a little twist on it and worked out perfect. So um, it's always uh, just trying to get the right flavor profile for sausages. And, you know, it's all about all about coming up with new ideas. You know, the buffalo bacon chicken sausage was just, and that just sounds good, you know, buffalo that does sauce, sound bacon good. and, uh, you know, uh, chicken. So it's just how it goes sometimes. So, uh you know the the Google helps also with uh, with coming up with new sausages. Also, is there anything? So, if you're willing to take enough risks to where like you're doing blueberry and sausage, which I'm sure it sounds very good, but like that's not something you'd necessarily be like like you would think would go together. Are there any things you try where you're actually like it ends up and you're like, oh shit, nope, nope, this is not it. No, uh, man, not. I mean. I mean, you know, whenever we made the harvest apple, we weren't expecting it to be good. You know, it has <laughs> apples and brown sugar and pork. But you think about it, you know, it's like a, you know, it turned, it actually was like, oh, that's not bad. You know, it's kind of like a sweeter pork sausage. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, I wish I could nail like two or three on the head to where I was like, oh, man, that's like bad. But, you know, whenever you're dealing with hands-on product that you cut yourself and grind yourself, I mean, you know, the product is, you know comes out uh, on the better end every time. What odd? Uh, what's your out of your take on football the last couple weeks? It's kind of odd. Uh, it's kind of been, I would say, deflating might be the right word. They just they keep getting close, but they're not exactly like they're 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 in games. It seems like three and a half ish quarters, and then they're just not really getting results. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that happens with young teams. I mean, you know, um, I just determine it down to, you know, it's hard being an Ole Miss Rebel fan. I, you know, that's what you can chalk a lot of things up to. But, uh, man, you, you know, you, you uh, the program's getting better. I mean, it's just, you know, there's some small, simple mistakes that get done throughout the game that, you know, we haven't put four quarters together to where – you know, it's like, wow, this is a complete team. So it eventually will come, but you know, I don't know how long that time frame will be. Ready to make some picks? Man, you, uh, uh, since I'm hot, I might as well Yeah, hot. no kidding. You're kicking our ass. I uh, I didn't uh, so I, I, I didn't do this on purpose, but I didn't put me and Collins' record. So we have more games because, obviously, you jumped in a little late, but our record is not reflective of that. I'm 47 and 56, and Colin is 49 and 55. So... This uh, this should get interesting. No, no wonder he had to text me back. He, yeah, he's really clear yeah. about this. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go SEC, and then I might pick a couple randoms based on how they sound. Vanderbilt is plus fifteen and a half at South Carolina. 
Well, I mean, you know what Vanderbilt team's going to show up? The team that loses the UNLV or the team that just goes in and beats a, you know, a Missouri team that, you know, should have walked all over them. Uh, you know, whenever you get later into the year, I mean, you, you see double-digit points and you're like, wow, that's, uh, you know, that, 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 that seems like a good bet. I'll, you know, I should be all over it. But, man, I don't know if Vandy's turned uh, the corner. I mean, that interview – well, whenever Derek Mason at the end, I mean, you know, it's just like, man, you want this guy to, you know, try to get this program going in the right direction. So I'll I'll, I'll take the go hoo-ha-rah uh, last-minute speech against Missouri, and I'll take the Vanderbilt Commodores, which is probably going to be an awful pick. I think I agree with you, though, because you had South Carolina. They beat Georgia, and you're kind of like, oh, they're playing pretty good football because, honestly, they kind of got hosed against Florida a couple weeks ago. But they lose fairly badly at Tennessee. So I think South Carolina probably wins the game, but I think that's too many points. I'm going to agree with you there. Tennessee UAB, this is interesting because Tennessee's minus 12. They're clearly playing a lot better football. If they don't make a bowl game, they're going to look back at the first two weeks of the season and be like, what the hell were we doing? But they're plus 12. Bill Clark has a really good UAB team. He was kind of in consideration for the job that Pruitt got, but I don't think was given that serious of a look. I don't know if he'll have any motivation with regards to that. I am reluctantly going to put faith in Tennessee, I think. I think they're playing better. I think they just get a different type of athlete than UAB. But if UAB covered this or won this game outright, it wouldn't stun me. But I think I'm going to take Tennessee. Yeah, it opened up at 10. And, you know, you see the two-point jump and you're sitting there and you're you're thinking that surely Tennessee is going to be two touchdowns better than UAB, just strictly based on the athletes. Uh, you know, you got to stay stick with Tennessee. They're they're playing good. They're, I mean, you know, they rolled up USC. I mean, uh, South Carolina. And with that being said, everybody think thought that South Carolina would you know go into Knoxville and handle that game, and it ended up being a forty twenty some odd game. So uh, you got to stay with the hot end, and you just got to. Uh, look at it and be like, surely Tennessee is going to have better athletes and going to be a two-point, uh, two-touchdown two uh, uh, winner here. We've got – next one is Ole Miss-Auburn. It's gone to uh, 19.5 from this website that I am looking at right now. I, I think Ole Miss's defense is going to keep them in the game for a while because – I don't necessarily trust Bo Nix. Ole Miss has been pretty good against the run. I don't know how healthy Booby Whitlow is for Auburn. I guess there's a world where 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 Nix kind of makes the Ole Miss secondary look like the state secondary to where he just torches them out of the gate. But I think they'll get enough stops to keep them in the game. I don't see Ole Miss moving the ball consistently enough to actually kind of make this really a threat. But I'm going to reluctantly take Ole Miss here. I think that might be a little high. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, all those num- all these double-digit numbers in conference games, you know, as the as into the later year, it's hard to not take those points. But you look at Ole Miss; they're coming off a of bye week. You know, uh, Plumlee has a little minor surgery. You know, you don't know what they're going to be like in the first quarter. Um, Auburn has, you know, just got done playing LSU, lost a tight game, and you know they're they're in stride with uh, playing wise, and if you don't. I mean, if you don't, uh, you know, not get down 14 nothing in the first quarter, you know, strictly because you're not in game shape coming off the bye week, you know, you dig yourself a 14 nothing hole and you don't have the offense and certainly Auburn has the defense to, you know, to, to stop a, a decent Ole Miss offense whenever they know what they're going to do. I mean, you know, but 
with that being said, it's tough to take those points, but I'm going to take Auburn. I, I just, uh, I just, I, I'm taking Auburn. I just, I'm, I think uh, Ole Miss is just still there about a happier way, and um, just too many young, uh, young pups back there to, you know, to to compete with four quarters of play. And I, I mean, I feel like uh, it'll be a twenty-point game. I skipped one on us. It doesn't. It shouldn't really count, but we do all the SEC ones. Uh, Texas A&M is minus thirty-eight and a half against Texas San Antonio, who I know nothing about. But that's a ton. They're of bad. They, they are bad. So, <laughs> they are really bad. I mean, those uh, that USTA, uh, uh, Nevada. Um, uh, let's see. Now that UConn rolled up UMass, I think UMass is going to be uh, the worst of that. I mean, there's. There's just Rutgers, even though they beat Liberty. I mean, you know, that was a – there's just certain teams out there that are just really, really bad, and you just like whatever the number is, you just take it. You know, say, for example, I took the La Tech against USC last last week, and you would never think that a La Tech team would be a a 35- to 40-point favorite in a conference game like that. So, uh, yeah, ride bad teams, uh, I will take Texas A&M all day. I'll go with you there. I don't need. I, I know nothing about that, but I am riding your uh, hot hand on that one because I, <laughs> I, I know absolutely nothing about UTSA. Um, let's see. What's the next? One? Oh, Florida Georgia's our next one. Uh, Georgia or Florida as it stands is plus six, and I think I'm going to take that. I uh, I've been very underwhelmed with Georgia. I think they play pretty good defense, but man, particularly against that Florida defense, I don't know how they're going to move the ball and score. And I wouldn't necessarily sleep on a one-loss Dan Mullen team kind of being in the playoff conversation in November or late November, particularly if their only loss is to LSU in a game where, yeah, it got out, it got away from them by a touchdown or two late, but they were up 28-21 midway through the third quarter. I think I like Florida actually win this game. Yeah, Georgia's kind of like flat walk through the whole season. You just assume after the Notre Dame win, which, you know, they barely squeaked it out, and you're sitting here thinking that, you know, Georgia's going to roll up Notre Dame without without any question. Uh, you know, I, I, it, like that's a, I mean, a touchdown is a big is a big number even in a tight game, you know, like this. Uh, I, I like the under, honestly, but um, it, I'm going to take Georgia on this just because, you know, like you were saying, Florida's still in the playoff hunt, but you know. Um, Georgia's been in the playoffs. They've been in SEC championships. Like, but, you know, surely that um, Moxie and uh, Schwag will probably come out and, you know, they handle the game and win probably 21-10. This might be the most fascinating one of the weekend for not, like, I don't want to say all the wrong reasons, but for very bad reasons. Mississippi State is in Fayetteville. And this has gone to, according to this thing, seven and a half. So State is more than a touchdown favorite now against a really, really bad Arkansas team. But I just don't see. I know I'm got like we've I've gone kind of underdog heavy. I don't. I just really I don't see a world how in the world you could bet State at minus seven and a half against anyone right now, particularly a SEC team, which Arkansas technically is. So. I think I'm going to go Arkansas. I don't know. They might play K.J. Jefferson, the North Panola kid. He's got four games left. They've had two really bad quarterbacks. Like, they could do the red shirt thing. I just, states look so unprepared and so disinterested on the road. I don't I don't know how I could go the other way and feel good about it. 
Well, I mean, when you look at both of these teams, they both look like they're not coached properly. Uh, they look like they have decent talent on each side of the ball. But, you know, you got to put the X's and O's in the right spot. I mean, you look at SMU. Whenever, uh, what's his name at Arkansas, Morris? Yeah. Morris had, had one good season at SMU, and now he's at the Arkansas job. Uh, Arkansas is officially tanked, and SMU is in the top 15. Uh, you know, like, uh, there's just sometimes that it's, you know, the the AD and the, and the staff doesn't pull the right trigger on the right coach for the right job. And I just feel like the Morris is a bad hire for Arkansas, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if this game was like 10 to 7. <laughs> Um, so with that being said, whatever uh, whatever numbers involved, I'm going to take Arkansas, the home dog, and just maybe hope and pray that uh, they get it put together. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm never going to bet on state just because I uh, just it's not a fan, and especially I just don't think Moorhead's the answer. I just think that um, you know if they want to go out and hire a coach and. You know, stir up some um, bees in the hornet's nest. I mean, go hire Hugh Freeze and just see what you know. Go, you know, go from there. <laughs> you know, just uh, you know, stir it all up. We were talking about that on the radio show the other day, and the guy that covers state, who is uh, like he's grown up a state fan and all of that. He was like, I don't know, like. He was like, I don't think anyone, there's a world where anyone would ever accept that. I would honestly think that would be hilarious. If, on the flip side with Moorhead, if he loses this game, they claim there's no way that he's getting fired no matter what. But if you lose to Arkansas and you go 4-8, and eight, assuming they beat Abilene Christian and Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl, because I think if State loses at Arkansas, they're just going to give up if they haven't already. I don't know uh, how yeah. you, I don't know how you don't make a move at 4-8. and eight. I mean, like. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just. Um, sometimes uh, a bad hire is a bad hire. I know that, you know, um, I think Cotney Tech, you know, the transfer porter is going to destroy college football. Well, you know, th- there's, there's certain guys that just need to buy into the program and just realize that, you know, your time will come. I mean, if it doesn't, then, you know, you just can't hop ship on the first, on the first two months of the seat on the, you know, on the thing. So it's tough, but you know, uh, hiring the right coach for the right situation is a very tough get, and you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But I just, you know, I just don't think it's working out for for Moorhead, and I feel like, um, you know, they they could uh, they could do something better. With that being said, I hope they sign Moorhead to a five year deal, and you know, he continues to do what he's doing on the current streak as a you know an Ole Miss fan. Let's roll through some NFL. Uh, the last time we did this, I made the, the the I think very astute reference that there's a lack of like there's no there's hardly any mascots in the NFL you could like cook, eat, or smoke, and I don't really understand that as why. And I feel like there should be more, and I don't really know why. Like, have you put any more thought into that? Well, the only thing I've thought about, and you know, in references, is <laughs> like the city. And just reference their, their, what they're famous for as far as the city. So, like, say, for example, Philadelphia, like, they're the cheesesteaks. So, like, sure, like, you know, let's cook some cheesesteaks. So, I would say try to take the city and what the city's famous for as far as food. Like, like say, Seattle. Well, I mean, sushi probably. I mean, get fresh fish or, you know, or in San Francisco. I, I couldn't, couldn't find something reference to San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> Maybe taco, maybe uh, uh, food truck tacos or something like that. That that's the only way I could reference the trying to eat a NFL mascot is try to get their uh, 
the, the city what they're famous for as far as food was. I don't think you can cook a Jaguar, but they're catching one and a half at home against the Texans. Well, um, oh man, uh, Texans are are good. I've uh, I I, uh, I took the Raiders last week just because I mean you know um, that's a lot. That, that seven points is actually a decent amount on a you know for a good team. I, I you know Garner Minshew's solid man. He hasn't made many mistakes and. Uh, he's actually made a bunch of plays, and I feel like uh, Jacksonville is almost leaning towards, you know, starting him even when Foles comes back. So, uh, with that being said, everybody's probably going to take Houston, so why not let's take the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think I'm going to go Houston. I love Minshew Mania. I hope I'm wrong. I'm going to be rooting for him in this game. I think that story's fascinating. I think he's like kind of oddly the most interesting guy in sports right now. But I think Deshaun Watson's probably a little too good. Buffalo is minus nine against the Redskins. I, 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 anything that's Redskins, Dolphins, or Bengals, I'm just immediately going the other way. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, you know, the uh, Bills just kind of laid a semi egg against a good Philadelphia team at home last week. But you know, you can't judge Buffalo off of a you know a, a decently hot Philadelphia team that's kind of finding themselves. So, um, again, a lot of points here. But you were saying, you know, uh, Washington. The, uh, um, Cincinnati are just really bad teams, so why would you ever want to consider putting your hard-earned money on them? So, with that being said, let's go ahead and put our hard-earned money on it. I'm taking Washington, nine and a half. Let's go. All right, Tennessee, Carolina is minus three and a half at home against Tennessee. I saw a report out this morning that Cam Newton is not even really close to playing football. That ankle deal is not getting better. I'm not sure they need him. I think Kyle Allen's pretty good. They got exposed last week, uh, but I well, think they actually played a decent team. They right? did, you know. but uh, San Francisco has exposed a lot of people. I think I'm going to go Carolina because I am a very loosely defined Titans fan. I grew up watching them. I like having an NFL team to follow. They don't ever win games like this, so I'm going to go Carolina just off principle. Well, I like the other side. Um, my Travis Henry had. I mean, Derek Henry had. Five fantasy points for me last week, so usually that means next week he's going to go off. So Derrick Henry for 175, two touchdowns. We'll take it. We'll take the Titans. We had some strong logic on that one. I like it. Um, <laughs> Philadelphia is minus four and a half against Chicago. I think Philadelphia's schedule is about to ease up a little bit. They're still a talented team, as big of a mess as they can be sometimes. And I think Chicago in this whole Trubisky thing is over. That is a lot of points, but I think I'm going Philly. I, I just, Trubisky to me, that appears to be over. They tried to mask it last year, but now they're literally just showing you what they think of him on every drive. They don't, they still are babying him. I don't get it. I, I, I don't like Chicago. Well, the, uh, what you look at right here is you look at a Chicago Bear defense that if they only give up 14 points, they're probably going to win the game nine times out of 10. Well, they have, done that probably five times this year and lost um the the coaching staff didn't even know where to put it on the correct hash for the kicker for the kicker to line up the game-winning field goal you can just tell that's not a well-organized football team that's a bad football team you know eagles just went in on buffalo and you know kind of rolled them up so you got to take the hot team uh especially at home uh, I hope the Eagles fans start booing in the first quarter because that usually makes the team really mad and they really go on a streak. So I'm going to take Eagles all day long. 
The next one is Vikings and Chiefs. The line has been taken off of everywhere I can find. I assume that's because I have Mahomes as a fantasy owner. They, like He was listed as doubtful, and he's not projected to have any points, but at the same time, I keep reading reports that he wants to play and they think he might can play. I'm guessing why this has been taken off, because Fridays are usually pretty big tell in terms of an injury day and whether a guy's going to play. So I guess we'll skip that from now. If it comes back up, I'll text you later and get you on record with it. But uh, I mean, regardless if Mahomes plays or not, you know, I, I, it's just uh, that it comes down to that Kansas City defense. I mean, they're bad. Uh, I mean, yes, they look decent against Green Bay at, at times, but Green Bay was up 14 to nothing, uh, you know, right out the get. And uh, uh, regardless of Holmes' plays, you just got to look at how bad that KC defense. And I, I tell you what, Minnesota, regardless if they don't throw the ball down the field or not, they're going to give um, they're going to give the ball to Cook at least twenty five to thirty times a game, and he's going to find room. I promise you that in that defense. I'm going to be feeling all kinds of weird about that game because I don't. If Mahomes doesn't play, my insurance policy is Kirk Cousins, so that's going to be a weird time. Um, Miami is plus three at home against the Jets. I can't believe I'm saying this, but like Miami has looked a lot. They're such a bad football team because their personnel, like the. They have offensive linemen that shouldn't be playing in the NFL. They have defensive guys that should be on practice squads. Like, they're tanking. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, I kind of feel bad for the guy. He's taking shot after shot. He's busting his ass. They've actually played better the last couple of weeks. It's like they've been in back-to-back games against Buffalo and Pittsburgh, and then you look up at the end of the game and it's still double digits. I guess I'll go Darnold in the Jets, but, like, if Miami kind of finally pops one off, it wouldn't shock me. Well, I mean, you look at uh, what they did. They traded Drake, so they're obviously trying to um, load up. I think they said, I think they pulled out a stat where they've got five first rounders and four second rounders, and I think a total of like twelve picks in the first like three rounds. And uh, <laughs> you know, you, it's hard not to see a team that looks like they're trying to tank, but yet they're trying to you know to play. I feel like the Drake trade is almost kind of like a relief for them because you know some some you know players that come into a franchise and want to win and you know they kind of put a I don't know I wouldn't say cancerous but I, it's just kind of like a little stick in the side you know so I feel like you know getting rid of the Drake is going to be probably helpful because there's going to be guys that want to play that want to get out there and perform and try to keep a job because this uh, this. You know, roster is chock full of open spots. You know, you go out there and put a um, uh, put a shift in, and you know, you might get a contract next year. So, I, I, with that being said, I never doubt the professional athlete, and I, I think that the number is low. I'm going to take a home dog, and I'm going to go with Dolphins. Pittsburgh is plus one and a half at home against the Colts. I don't really buy Mason Rudolph. I think that Steelers' defense is better than maybe they're getting credit for because they weren't that great last year. But Indy's just kind of solid. I don't know necessarily if I buy them in the playoffs, but I don't really know how many other organizations could have their franchise quarterback retire two weeks for the season and be 5-2 and two or whatever they are. I think Brissett's pretty good. I think I'll go Indy. Yeah, I'm a, I kind of agree. Uh, whenever Luck did retire, everybody got on the under total win, you know, under, just because they're like, oh, Andrew Luck, I mean, they're, they're I mean, Indy's a, their offensive line is really solid. They can run the ball with, you know, with Jordan Wilkins, and they can run the ball with Marlon Mack. I mean, those are two names that, you know, aren't a premier uh, running back uh, profile, but they get the job done, and they have a solid core up front. So 
Uh, I'm buying the Colts, man. Uh, go ahead with Pat Baxley on this one. Oakland and Detroit, these are the two teams I've looked at in the NFL this year and been like, you know what, they're not terrible, they're not that bad, and then like, they'll be in every game they play, and yet their record is still somehow under five hundred. It's Oakland minus two and a half. I think I'll go the Raiders just because they're at home. This thing, this game feels every mud as, as bit as like a wash as you could possibly have it. Uh, before you make your pick, can you eat a lion? Um, I, I, I'm not big on cats. So, I don't think, I, I mean, even if I liked the cat, I don't think I would want to eat it. Much like if I didn't like a cat, I still wouldn't want to eat it. So, um, yeah, no, I think I'm good on the cat. Okay. What is your... Or large, large cat. What is large your... Large, whatever. So, which way are you going here, whether you like the cats or not? Um, well, uh, I'm a travel rule kind of guy, so whenever the team has to um, play in another time zone, which they're not used to, and... Um, plus, uh, Detroit uh, just uh, got playing at home against the Giants. So, I mean, you know, they're not going to get into Oakland on Tuesday. So, uh, I don't know. I'll take the travel rule. I'm going to go with the Raiders here. Seattle minus five against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is like kind of a trap you fall into every week, and then they're in the game, and Jameis turns it over four times. I'll go Seattle because I think he's going to have like four more picks. Yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, don't like crab legs, a lot of hard work for nothing, so <laughs> let's go with uh, Seattle Seahawks. Denver is plus four against Cleveland. They've got a backup quarterback starting. This feels like kind of a trap game because you're like, all right, Cleveland's going to get right. Their schedule gets easier, all that. But at the same time, it's Baker Mayfield against a really good defense, and if he turns it over five times, I think Denver could have a ghost playing quarterback and still be in the game. So... I think I'll go Denver basically against all logic here. I think I'm just counting on Baker to throw up on himself. I mean, you can tell. I mean, he's gotten the last couple of interviews. He's kind of gotten under the skin, and he's, you know, lost his GQ swag. I'm not a Baker Mayfield uh, investor. I, You know, uh, I feel like uh, once he gets out of the pocket and tries to make a play, he'll make a mistake, and that's what NFL teams have figured out. And as you can see, uh it's, it's you know it's kind of unfolded in themselves. Um, I just I told myself I'd never bet on the Browns, uh, so I'm never going to bet on the Browns. So let's take the Broncos here. Yeah, if you're Baker Mayfield like that, I, I kind of liked him a little coming out of college. Like I liked the attitude and all that. Like well, football player, well, he was a winner. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Winner. With a gigantic chip on his shoulder. But that doesn't really fly in the NFL. And then you mentioned the press conference deals. If you lose to Denver with a backup quarterback, like you lose the right to be able to like yell at reporters and stuff. Like I feel like this act will officially be over if he drops this one. Uh, I mean, you know, um, I don't understand why a player gets in the NFL and acts. You know, just do your job, do what you're supposed to do, get what you do, what you're supposed to do as far as what you're getting paid for. Also, and that's the you know, run the offense and, you know, and don't don't show any plus, you know, uh, be, getting flustered. And you can tell that, he's, you know, uh, there's some things that are getting under his skin and there shouldn't be because, you know, do your job and it won't be. Yeah, in the that stuff works in college, but in the NFL, like you said, you've got to be calm when everyone else is not. That's kind of what people want in a franchise quarterback. The next one, this is kind of a gross game. I don't really understand this at all. L.A. is the Chargers are plus three and a half at home against the Packers. I don't understand the Chargers. I think they stink. I think I'm going to go with the Packers, but then Phillip Rivers is going to do some weird stuff, and I'm going to be wrong. So that's what I'm going, and I think I'm going to be wrong. Well, I just if you look at uh, every uh, Los Angeles chart or whatever they are now, um, 
they always start out slow, and then they get hot in the later of the year, and they start getting points, these points, and you're like, oh, and they're playing against a team that surely they should lose to. The next thing you know, they're winning, and you're like, what, how how is Philip Rivers doing this? Um, and the Rams are, I, man, I think you know after they got the trade for uh, who did they trade for Ramsey? Yeah. Then they get Ramsey. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, and Jared Goff, they're coming off a of bye week. I, I just, I'm a big fan of teams coming off bye week in the NFL versus. Uh, oh no, this is uh, this is Philip Rivers. The Rams oh, on bye week this week. Oh. Golly, I get my Los Angeles teams because there's three of them mixed uh, in there. I've done yeah, that Phillip twice Rivers, this year. I, I mean, yeah. We'll take them. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take Phillip Rivers in the points. We've got the Ravens. This is a great Sunday night game. Hell yeah. I didn't actually know this was the flex to the Sunday night. Baltimore is getting three at home against New England. New England's been a machine. That defense is really good. I don't think they've seen anything like Lamar Jackson with the way, the, with way they run the ball. New England, I think, will drop a regular season game at some point just because they're not – not that they're not interested, but, like, they don't – like, like them losing this game in mid-November when they have the division locked up 7-0, and I don't think will affect them. I think I might go to the Ravens here. This feels like a game where Lamar Jackson, where people kind of finally are like, okay, maybe this could work for a little bit. So, I'll go to the Ravens. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, after seeing uh, the Patriots cover all seven games and they've covered, you know – 19 to 20 point spreads, and you're like, man, you get to this, you know, game right here, and they're like, oh, you're only, they're only favored by three. We should be getting all over the Patriots, and I, I, I agree with the Lamar Jackson, but you know, there's also a coach uh, on that other side that's probably been preparing for him the last two weeks because the last two games they've had, is, you know, been. I mean, I wouldn't say the Browns are a pushover, but um, you know, so I don't know. I'm gonna take the Patriots, man, until you know, you ride, you ride her until she bumps you off. Last one, we've got the Giants Monday Night Football there getting a touchdown against the Cowboys. I feel like Dak Prescott always owns in these games. These are the games where you're like, oh, he deserves the contract, and then he plays a team that's pretty good, and he's not very good. <sighs> I'll go to the Giants and Danny Dimes just because I think that's a lot. But like, if the, if the Cowboys came in and smashed him, that wouldn't completely shock me. Yeah. And that's, and that's tough because you're trying to win money here. You're not trying to sit here and watch a Monday night game and be like, oh, cool, I, I think I like the Giants here, but uh, the, the Cowboys are probably going to stomp them. I mean, I'm always, uh, if you get points from a home dog on Monday night football, you take them regardless if they're the Broncos, I mean, the Redskins or the Dolphins or, you know, or whatnot. But I'm taking home dog here, so let's ride with the Giants. All right, you heard it here. You can get Greg's picks. You can get rich if you want to be poorer. You can take mine and Collins. I will. Uh, I've got Borky filling in for Colin today, as you guys have heard. So we will have those once again for you, Greg. I appreciate your time. One more time, let everybody know what you got going on. Uh, tell them what to come by, what they can expect. Go. Yeah. Well, we got plate lunches Monday through Friday from eleven to two thirty. The meat and two sides, a roll and a drink for nine dollars. Don't want the drink? It's eight dollars. Um, we've got the weekend special always is a bacon, six ounce bacon wrap filet for $12. Uh, on Sunday, we take, uh, we do it for $10. Um, I've just got a bunch of prime, um, ribeyes in, so I'm trimming up those and about to cut those. Uh, I got a new cut in. It's a, a, a Denver cut, which is unbelievable piece. It's up the bottom flap of the, of the chuck roll. Really good cut. Um, and of course, if there's anything that you need as far as like a special order, I had a, I had somebody wanted some 
veal shank, so I ordered some veal shank. Uh, so if there's anything special or if you're wanting something exclusive, we can get that for you. So just call me, uh, 662-259-2999, and that's Greg Jones at LB's Meat Market. Come and holler at me. Greg, we appreciate your partnership. We appreciate your picks even more because I'm going to try to get rich off of them this week. I don't even trust myself. <laughs> well, I, I do have a couple. I had one question that we, you know, how you, we we tweet out, you know, questions and que- that sort of thing. Yes. Rank. Uh, I'm going to give you five sporting events and rank the five as you would want to watch as an American, red-blooded American. So we got Game Seven of the World Series. We got Super Bowl. Uh, game seven of the, of the Stanley Cup, the World Cup, and the college football national championship game. And then I'm going to throw in the Ryder Cup. Ooh. You get it. Oh, we were thinking about last night of like really good questions to ask, you know, sports fans. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, and I hadn't watched baseball since uh, early July. So, you know, because the season was already over once we went 1-13 in that little stretch in July. So I stopped watching it, but I click on that Game 7 World Series, and that's top-notch baseball. I mean, you, I mean, that was good stuff. And then, so it's just, uh, you know, that's a good question to a- ask and see. I mean, there's some, there probably might be more sporting events that, you know, could get into that top seven. But as far as 162 game season, and then it all comes down to one game. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. I like it. I'm gonna have to throw that out with Borky and Chew on it, but we'll have that answered by the time this pod comes out. Well, I mean, you know, in the Ryder Cup, people are like, oh, golf. Who wants to watch golf? I mean, it's America. <laughs> that's true. Like, Red, white, and blue. Yeah, I mean, like you, you know, you watch it. You know, so lots of lots of uh, good sporting events out there, but you know, it's hard to beat a World Series Game 7 like it was the other night. Absolutely. That was good stuff. Greg, I appreciate it. Thank you for the question. Thank you for participating Mailback Friday. We'll have you back on probably next week, same time. We'll be here. Sounds good. Appreciate it, dude. Alright, man. Take care. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.